Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, I'll tell you what, this morning I feel a little bit more like a tour guide than a preacher. Because as we look at Nehemiah 3, uh, Nehemiah has gathered all of this information needed for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And after a lot of patience and a lot of research, it's time to start the rebuilding. So not only was God given vision important, but so was those that God gave to help him. So rebuilding takes not only leadership, but it also takes those who are dedicated and willing to serve. So the question for you and I today was, what are we willing to do for God and are we ready? So today's scripture, it captures the excitement of Nehemiah seeing his vision to help Jerusalem and her people come to light with real work. I mean, we can plan to plant a garden forever, but at some point we have to pick up the shovel, right? Uh, There's part of an excitement of building, isn't it? Seeing plans coming together on an actual project. If you've ever built something or had a house built, and you know, it seems like it takes forever, but every day if you see one more nail, one more board, one more something, it starts to get exciting. Well, that's part of the excitement that we see today, seeing plans becoming an actual project. The thing that is exciting to me and that is exciting to Nehemiah here is that he is seeing people working together to accomplish the plan God has given them. Seeing people work together to accomplish the plan that God has given Nehemiah. And so although the walls of Jerusalem, they laid in ruins at this time, each one of the ten gates had specific locations, and they were named according to their purpose. I've got a a map, Trista, if you'd put it on there. I don't know if you can see it from there. Uh, That's interesting. Is that this thing right here? You know, this has never done this. There we go. This is this is a map of Jerusalem walls and gates that are needing to be repaired. And so uh, if you are a visual person, as we go through the scripture, we're basically, like I said, I'm a tour guide this morning. Through the scripture, we're going to read a lot of names we find hard to pronounce, but we are going to see the work that happens as we start at the very top right, you'll see it says Sheep Gate, chapter 3, verse 1. And then we are going to go counterclockwise all the way around through scriptures and see the work that is being done on these gates. So if you are a visual person, that will kind of help you out there. The wall on each side of these heavy wooden gates, they were thick enough for soldiers to stand on and uh, they could guard and defend the gates against attacks. And sometimes two stone towers would be between these gates that where the gates would guard. There would be guard shacks there. There would be people that would be living in those towers for the purpose of security. But in times of peace, the gates were places of commerce and meetings. If you were going into Jerusalem, you would gather right there at the main gate. That's where all the stores would be. That's where all the merchants would be. That's where the city council would meet. And they would hold all their public speaking engagements on all that stuff right at these gates. So the gates were critical. They were the entry and exit point to the city. 
And most places were likely to see the enemy attack at those gates. Therefore, the work started at each gate. And then what they would do, once they rebuilt the gates, then they would start working inward. Because if you started on the inside and not rebuilt the gates, you could build something grand and tall, but then somebody would just come over the gates or come through the gates that are lying in ruins and destroy it. So they had to start with the gates. And there was... There, you would think that there was a lot of concerns that Nehemiah had, but Nehemiah had only one concern, one concern and one concern alone, and that was that he would give all glory or honor, all credit, all glory to God. Chapter 2, verse 17, he tells them, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem to end this disgrace. He wasn't building it because he wanted to put it on his LinkedIn profile or put it on his resume that he helped in a massive construction project that rebuilt the city. He was doing this because he was tired of seeing God's people in God's city being disgraced and being vulnerable and being taken advantage of. So, It's amazing to see what people will do when they worry more about God getting the glory than for themselves. They take on the heart of a servant. So let's jump into the scripture. The first gate we start at is the sheep gate, verses 1 through 2. It says, Then Eliashib, or Eliashib, the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild the sheep gate. They decided it, they, excuse me, not they decided, they dedicated it and set it up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated in the Tower of Hanel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was the Ker son of Emery. You see, the rebuilding work in this passage is a reminder that there is a hope for broken down lives. There is a hope for families that are broken. There are hope. There is hope for churches that are broken. There is hope for communities that are broken. There is a rebuilding. There, God can use you and I to do the work of rebuilding in the lives of people in our church and this community because What these people did is they united around God's purpose, and then everyone started responding. Suddenly, things were getting done. You see, the work began at the gates because they were the only entry and exit points, and most likely the enemy would hit there first. Uh, So rebuilding must begin with the worship of the glory of God. We see here that they started with the sheep gate and the two towers. The reason the sheep gate was important was because the sheep gate was named because that's where they brought the sheep through. I know that's a big stretch, right? But they would bring the sheep into Jerusalem through that specific gate. And up until a few years ago, this gate was still being used for that purpose. The sheep, the gate was very close to the temple, and so the sheep that would be used for the sacrifices and the worship, they would come through that gate. Or the sheep that would be sold, they would come through that gate. And so Nehemiah and Eliashib knew that God wanted everything set apart for him, including the city walls and gates. So what we see here is that Nehemiah's first priority was the worship system starting again, to get the priest 
rolling again, to get the sacrificial systems rolling again so that people's sins could be atoned for through that. That was his very first thing. And my friends, if the very first thing we try to do in our lives and in this church and in this community is to make worship of God and His glory a priority, then that's where we need to start. The thing is, is how can we ever expect to do more than we are willing to do ourselves. The reason I say that is because if you read here, Eliashib, he was the high priest. He wasn't the one saying, okay, everybody, let's gather together. He's got his clipboard, he's got his coffee, and he's got his uh, his check sheet, and he's saying, okay, I need everybody to do this. And once everybody starts working, he goes back to his office and plays Tetris on his computer. That's not what he did. He was the priest. He said, this is what we're going to do. I'm starting, you join in with me. I cannot expect you to do something that I'm not willing to do. You cannot expect somebody else to do something that you are not willing to do. Why, could, why would you ever expect me to do something God has called both of us to do, but you're just unwilling to do it? When it comes to evangelism and telling people about Jesus, it's not the preacher's job. It's everybody's command. I have heard friends that are in churches that are pastors that have been told, well, preacher, that's what we pay you to do. See how that holds up at the great white throne judgment. When all of us are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look, I realize I'm a specialist at that. I've been trained for that. I've got experience in that. But my hope is is that what I do encourages others to do the same. Rebuilding requires dedication from God's people. It said people from the town of Jericho worked next to them. You see, Nehemiah faced this daunting task in rebuilding the walls, but even the strongest of determination, he needs people to be by their side. That's one thing I love about whether it be mission projects or even just doing stuff at the church. The people that are here that work together, whether it be giving out school supplies or doing covered dishes or or fixing the building or cutting the grass or whatever it is, if we are doing stuff and we're doing it together, we're doing it shoulder to shoulder, side by side, doing what God has called us to do. That is exciting. That builds teamwork. That builds community. And that honors God. I want you to understand here that each person's effort was important. It's not like Nehemiah went to uh, the the um, ZipRecruiter.com and got all the construction workers he could find. He didn't go to the, the labor board and say, okay, give me all your skilled masons, all your skilled builders, all your carpenters. Y'all come. No, he was using everyday people, people that weren't skilled at building. They were not skilled, but what were they? They were available. Each person or family was given individual responsibilities for their work. And each person was important in that rebuilding work. Just like every one of you sitting in these pews today, whether you are on our roll or whether you are visiting or whether God has brought you here for a reason, you got to find out what that reason is because God has called you to help us take the gospel to this community and to be a light in a dark place. You are not here by accident. 
If you want to do a spectator sport, go watch a baseball game. We are here to do the work of the Lord. And it is my prayer that as we seek God's leadership in what we're doing here as a community and as a church, that people are excited no matter what their age is, no matter what their ability is, that they would just be available to at least just do what they can. It may be just pray. It, who, it may, who knows? We've got to figure that out. We've got to seek God for that. Everybody has to be willing to do their part. Because you do not have to do everything, folks. I'm not asking you to, to be that person that is on every committee and is doing every job. You don't have to do all your part. But you know why there are so few people doing so many things? It's because the people that could do something are not. I'm not asking you to do everything. I'm just asking you to do what God has given you to do. Next we go to the fish gate in verses 3 through 5. Um, spoiler alert, it's where they brought fish into Jerusalem. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hanassah. They laid the beams, set up his doors, and installed his bolts and bars. Merimuth, son of Uriah and the grandson of Hekaz, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him were Meshulam, son of Berakah, and grandson of Mishabel, and then Zadok, son of Banna. The next day were people from Tekoa. That's not Georgia. Their leaders refused to work in the construction with the construction supervisor. So the people from Tekoa, again, not Georgia, they refused to do the work. The supervisor says, okay, guys, let's go. And they're like, no, nah, I ain't going to do it. This ain't going to work. This is stupid. Y'all, y'all are trying to be rebuild these walls? Ain't going to happen. And if it is, I'm not going to have a part of it. They were defiant. They weren't going to do anything. So what we see is the fish gate got its name, obviously, because the fish market, that's where they would bring the fish in from the Mediterranean Sea when it was being caught. Not everyone was on board with the vision of rebuilding. And I know that as God is calling me and our church to rebuild the work of Homeland Park, everybody will not be on the same page. And that's okay. But there will always be people that think that they are above working towards a God-given vision. And Nehemiah called out those who chose to be lazy. Look, you can call it it's your opinion. You can call it your experience. It'll never work. But if God is moving in a group and God is calling us to do something, and if you don't want to do it, you've got to ask yourself, why is that? Because could his charge against them be said of you? If God wants to move in this church, are you going to be the guys from Tekoa saying, ain't happening, Captain? Or just waiting for it, just sitting back waiting to take pot shots when it fails? I'm going to tell you, folks, if God is in it, it's not going to fail. Look, I'm not up here saying that I've got all the ideas and everything I do is right. I have made some blunders in my life, and you can remind me of some if you'd like, but just not now, okay? But I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when God is moving in my life and in the hearts of those that are around me in this church, I know that when we take a step, we take it together. And I guess uh, a point you can make here is since it was the fish gate and all the lazy people are around the fish gate, I guess you could say that lazy people stink. Uh, uh, I, I can only imagine what that gate smelled like. Let's move on. Let's keep walking. The old city gates, Nehemiah 3, verses 6 through 12. The old city gate 
was repaired by Jehoiada, son of Peshiah, and Meshulam, son of Besodiah. They laid the beams. See, I have trouble with them too. They set up the doors and installed the bolts and bars. Next to them there was Melatah from Gibeon, Jadon from Maranoth, people from Gibeon and people from Mizpah, the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Euphrates River. Next was Uziel, son of Hariah, a goldsmith by trade who also worked beyond the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. They let out they left out a section of Jerusalem as they built the broad wall. Y'all still with me? Okay. Verse 9. Raphael, son of Hur, the leader of half of the district of Jerusalem, was next to them on the wall. That's, that's huge. It was next to them on the wall. Next, Jediah, son of Harumph, repaired the wall across from the own ha- his own house. And next to him was Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, then came Malachijah, son of Haram, and Hashab, son of Pathos, Moab. Whew. I'm trying. They, they who repaired another section of the wall and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Helosh, and daughters repaired the next section. He was the leader of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. I don't, I don't struggle with those, those names and pronouncing that to be funny. I'm just trying to show you that uh, I am human too. If you can't speak those and you can't pronounce those in your head when you're reading it, that's okay. Keep reading because of all of that, we were saying, this is what we can get out of this scripture. What we can get out of this scripture is that God will use those who are available to do the unexpected. God will use those who are available to do the unexpected. I've often thought, uh, I think it might have been Howard Hendricks or, or who it was, but some guru back in the day that, that taught about teaching and leadership. He said, you want people that are fat. I'm like, woo, Yeah! Is that no, 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 not, not portly, not in, not in size. You want people, the best people you want, you, the best people you want on your team are people that are fat, people that are faithful, people that are available, and people that are teachable. So if someone asks me, can I help? And I ask you, are you fat? Don't, don't be offended. <laughs> are you faithful? Are you available? Are you teachable? These people here, they were available to do the unexpected. I tell people all the time, and I tell myself, do we come into this sanctuary at 1030 expecting the unexpected? Most of the time, no. Do we expect God to work? Look, as you go back and you look at that passage we just read, there were goldsmiths. There were manufacturers of perfumes. I doubt somebody that makes perfumes had a big hand in how to rebuild a gate and a wall. And also it says Shalom and his daughters. His daughters were doing this. Back in that day, the the daughters didn't do a whole lot of manual labor. But in this moment, it was all hands on deck. And here we see the strength of godly women are not ignored, but they are utilized. It would have seemed that they had an easy excuse 
to do nothing, but everybody jumped in to do the work. They were available to do the unexpected. Again, remember, this had been tried several times before to rebuild the wall. So many of them sat back and said, here we go again. Good luck. It ain't going to happen. People have already tried. You think people say that about Homeland Park Baptist Church? Do they think they say it about you at your job? Or you at your family? Or even Homeland Park is there? Oh, that's Homeland Park. I know there's a there's a uh, aura or a impression about Homeland Park. Somebody might say, "Well, yeah, people have tried to do something Homeland Park before, but oh, the odds are just odds are just too bad." Are you telling me that God is not powerful enough to do something? I don't care if people have tried to do something in Homeland Park fifty million times. Let's make it fifty million and one. Let's watch God take people that are available to do the unexpected. The most important ability in the work of the Lord is availability. Put it this way. God can do more with a believer who is available that has little talent than somebody who has a lot of talent but is not available. All you've got to do is say, I don't know what i got, God, but you've got it, whatever it is, and let's do it. That's what it takes. That is what it's going to take to rebuild here at Homeland Park. That is what these wall rebuilders were doing. They were available to be used with what they had to serve God. Because, folks, when there is a common goal, you must take some time and effort to help the greater need. The biggest, hardest struggle for you to be available to God is to get over the barrier of yourself and your comfort and your routine and your idea of what normal is. Let's keep walking. Verse 14. The valley gate and the dung gate. Yes, it is what it sounds like. Uh, some translations call it refuse. But, you know, every, every town's got a sewer system, right? 13. When there was a common goal, you must take time and effort to help the greater need. The dung gate was repaired by, there's that name again, Malachijah, son of Rechab, the leader of the Beth Hakarim district. He rebuilt it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Now, I am sure, as people are, are handing out the orders, okay, you got the, the sheep gate, you got the, the, the fish gate, you got the yaw gate, now... Who wants the dung gate? Nobody's looking at that assignment. But this guy, he says, yes, I will do it. And he rebuilds it. It's located at the lowest, most southern part of the city. And it got its name from the fact that the city disposed its garbage through the main gate towards the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom means Gehenna. Now, this is where this becomes very significant. So I'm going to take just a little side trip, but hang with me on here, where it talks about the Valley of Hinnom. Another word for that is Gehenna. And this is the area that Jesus used. It was an illustration to illustrate what hell would be like. They would take their sewage. They would take their refuse. They would take their garbage. They would take everything that they did not want in the city, they would put it in this valley of Hinnom and they would set it on fire. 
that was, the, this whole valley was their landfill trash dump. And it was called the Valley of Hinnom. And then if you go back and you look at Mark chapter 9, verses 43 and 44, Jesus is saying, and if your hand causes your downfall, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell. That word hell, Gehenna, he's referencing the valley of Hinnom that we're studying about right now. So everything is connected. In this valley, King Manasseh would sacrifice children to the idol of Molech. We know that in Second Chronicles chapter 33. And then King Josiah turned it into a landfill in 2 Kings 23. So, so this gate, this dung gate, this valley of Hinnom is very important to the overall picture of the scriptures and to what Jesus is doing. It wasn't the most glorious gate to work on, but it was important nonetheless. Folks, I'm going to tell you, not every job is up front and prestigious. Some of the greatest works are carried out by humble servants doing what others are just quite frankly unwilling to do. You see, waste removal is crucial to any city. I, I don't know if you remember several years ago, but there was a union strike and all of the, uh, the garbage workers in New York City went on strike. That, that strike lasted very short time because the cities started piling up with garbage in the streets. The rats started running wild because nobody was doing anything with the trash. So yes, yeah, some, some jobs are not glorious, but some of them just have to be done. Maybe this is a great sign to us that we need to remove the refuse and the sin and the dirt from our life. Maybe we need confession and maybe we need cleansing. Now we keep walking the fountain gate, verses 15 through 25. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Hoseth, the leader of Mizpah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam near the king's garden. If you remember the pool of Siloam, that's where Jesus healed the man uh, that was blind. And he rebuilt the wall as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. Next to him was Nehemiah, son of Asbach, the leader of half of the district of Bezer. He rebuilt the wall from a place across from the tombs of David's family and as far as the water reservoir as the house of the warriors. Next to him, repairs were made by a group of Levites working under the supervision of Rehum, son of Benai. Then came Hashabiah, the leader of half the district of Keliah, who supervised the building of the wall on behalf of his own district. Next down the line were his countrymen, led by Benua, son of Hinnadad, the leader of the half of the other district of Keliah. Next to them, Ezer, son of Jeshua, the leader of Mizpah, repaired another section of the wall across from the ascent to the armory near the angle in the wall. Next to him was Barak, son of Zabal, who zealously repaired an additional section from the angle to the door of the house of Elishab, the high priest. Merimuth, son of Uriah, and grandson, Hazkaz, rebuilt another section of the wall extending from the door of Eliashib's house to the south end of the house. Now, again, these are a lot of words 
But the thing is, is that if you go over to the holy city today, you will see these places. This is not a fable. This is a real place. This is GPS. This is data that could go on Google Maps to tell them about where these things are located. It says in verse 22 that the next steps or the next repairs were made by the priest in the surrounding region. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired the section across from their house, and Azariah, son of Messiah, and grandson of Ananiah, repaired the section across from the house. Next, Benu, son of Hinnadad, who rebuilt another section of the wall from Azariah's house to the angle at the corner. Palal, son of Uzziah, carried on the work from a point opposite the angle and the tower that projects up from the king's upper house beside the court of the guard. Next to him were Padiah, sons of Peron. So what we see here is that was the fountain gate. And then with the fountain gate, you also have the water gate in verses 26 to 27. With the temple servants living on the hill of Opal who repaired the wall as far as the point across from the water gate to the east and projecting tower, they came the people of Tekoa, who repaired another section across from the great project projecting tower and over to the wall of Ophel. So you see, some of the people from Tekoa didn't mind working. Why is this even significant? Why are, we, why are we worried about this gate? Do I remember a few years ago when we were having problems with Lake Hartwell and drinking water was out of stock everywhere? I remember when uh, the fire departments had to, every tanker in the station in, in the county had to shuttle water to make sure that the air conditioning in the um, hospital kept running. I remember what it was like to have that nasty taste in water. I understand that. Can you imagine what a city would be like without that gate? Whenever someone would attack a city, one of the first places and things that they would do is cut off their supply of food and cut off their water. Well, water is important to any city. And notice the spiritual progression illustrated by these gates. We were at the valley gate, which showed humility. We were at the dung gate, which showed a need for cleansing. And we're at the water gate, being filled with with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, that's the water that, that John 4, 14 talks about. When we have the Holy Spirit, that is the water that once we drink it, we will never thirst again. My friends, if you are empty in your life and you are looking for fulfillment and you have not found it in your bank accounts, you have not found it in your relationships, you have not found it in your social feeds, you have not found it in your job, if you want true fulfillment, it comes through having a relationship with God, and having that Holy Spirit that fills you to where anything else is just a cheap substitute. Then we go to verses 28 through 30. We're we're getting ready to, to make the full circle. We have two gates, the horse gate and the east gate. Guess what the horse gate was? That's what you took the horses through. I mean, y'all got it. And then guess what the east gate was? That was the furthest gate that was in the east, all right? I mean, y'all got this. See, reading the Bible is not that hard, right? Above the horse gate, the priests repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Next, Zadok, son of Emmer, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house. And beyond him was Shemaiah, son of Shekinah, 
the gatekeeper of the east gate, next Taniah, son of Shema, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalapheth, repaired another section, while Meshulam, son of Barakah, built the wall across from where he lived. What is significant about the horse gate? Not only was it significant that that's where they would bring the horses to. Can you imagine? I mean, they have all these gates. Why do they need these? Well, can you imagine what would happen if you brought the horses to the sheep gate? Can you imagine what you would happen if you brought the sheep in with the horses through the horse gate? Can you imagine if you brought anybody through the dung gate? Each one of these gates had a purpose. And so the horse gate is often where uh, they would bring in the horses. Now, to us, a horse is a pretty animal that, that people like to ride and pet. Some people bet on them. Some people, I mean, it's just, you know, horses are horses. I understand that. But back then, horses were the tanks and the jeeps and the military warfare that those cities would use to protect themselves. So the horses would come in this gate, and then they would come to this eastern gate to where all the horses and all the men and all the armies, they would basically stage up and see what they've got. The horse gate reminds us that there is warfare in the Christian life, and we must all be ready to do battle. So the horse gate was one of the major uh, military gates of the city. And if you go back and you look, past the names in verses 28 through 30, you're going to see words like they were across from one another. It was beyond him and they were next to him. All of these phrases are suggesting that all of these people, though they had different lives, they were intersected together for one purpose. And folks, that is what we need to do. It doesn't matter what our age is. It doesn't matter what the color of our skin is. It doesn't matter how far along or how far away we are from the Lord. As we come together to rebuild, that is just it. We are together, shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand, doing what the Lord has called us to do. Also, the east gate in verse 29, you may find this interesting. It was known as the golden gate. And the east gate is the very same gate that Jesus rode through on Palm Sunday. And if that doesn't get you going, I think I've got a picture of it. This is a picture of the east gate, which is even prophecy. Notice it's sealed up. You know when that gate's going to be unsealed? When Jesus Christ returns and walks right through it. When Jesus returns, he is coming through the eastern gate of Jerusalem. We find that in Ezekiel 43, verses 1 through 7. So finally, we end in the last two verses, the inspection gate, or what some translations call the muster gate. Not mustard, as in a condiment, but muster, like as in gathering people together. And here we go. Malachijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and merchants across from the inspection gate. Then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner. The other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall that's from the corner of the sheep gate. Again, this inspection gate, this muster gate, operated as like a place of gathering and inspection. The northern side of Jerusalem was the most vulnerable to attack, so this was a logical place to locate the army. And 
for, for lack of time, I'm not going to go into all of them, but as, as we're reading these names, I want you to understand something. Take, for example, uh, M-A-L-C-H-I-J-A-H, we, Malachijah, or Malachijah, son of, son of Haram. This man, here's what's important about names. This man was mentioned in Ezra chapter 10, verse 31, as one of the men who was confronted by Ezra for the sin of taking a pagan wife. He was a Jewish man. He took a pagan wife. He was confronted for that. And that was many years before this. So the fact that he is here and he is now and he's doing the work of the Lord shows that this man got things right with God and now years later is serving him. Folks, a believer should never let a past failure get in the way of serving God. Repent, set it right, and make a stand for righteousness. You cannot say, well, God cannot use me because of what I've done in my past. That is the devil telling you that. And this is one of the only times when you can tell the devil to go back to hell where he belongs. God doesn't throw up your past to keep you from serving him. He gave blood to forgive you of that past so that you will serve him. And we see that in this guy's life. So as we finish our tour today, and I'll show you the picture again. We've walked in Scripture. We have walked all the way around the city gates. Whoo! What a trip. And I'm only three minutes over. <laughs> you're right, preacher. You're three minutes late. Let me finish with this. As I said in the message to start with, rebuilding is not for the faint of heart. Through the scriptures, we have journeyed around the walls of Jerusalem and met many people that God used to rebuild them. We have seen the glory and worship of God was their priority. They may not have been the best skilled, but they were available. Some humbled themselves to do whatever job was given to them. And then the gates not only protected the people of Jerusalem, but also prepared them to usher in Jesus the Messiah generations later. Here's the aha moment for you all, no matter what your age is. The work that God calls you to today will make a difference for Jesus for generations to come. Some of you are sons, daughters, great-grandsons, great-granddaughters, or related to other members that have sat in this church that have gone on to be with the Lord. Your generation is here because of that previous generation. And then prayerfully, those that are under you will continue to be here. But not only that, we don't want to just keep our families propagating here. We want to get people to come into this church. We want to get the community into her and, and to be a church that represents our community. Because if all we want to do is be a social club, we need to close the doors today. Nehemiah faced great challenges and he had great faith in a great God, but he would not have accomplished much of that, if God had not sent great dedicated people to help him. Folks, God is calling you and I to rebuild at Home and Park Baptist Church. You will hear more in the weeks to come about the, the vision and, and the direction that we are going. But let me just tell you, it is exciting. There's a newness. There is a freshness. I am more excited now than I have been in ages about what God is wanting to do with us. And if you are right with God and you're right with his people, 
your heart will be in whatever we do. And if not, I pray that God will move in your heart so that you will be. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. And as Donna comes up to sing our song of invitation, invitation is just this. The dear Heavenly Father, if there is someone here today that does not know you as their Savior and Lord, and they've, they've heard all of this today, and, and uh, it, it just seems like um, for the first time in a long time, they've realized that there's a purpose greater than what they've been living for. And they want to make Jesus their Savior and Lord. Then today could be the day. As a hymn is sung, you can come forward and you can know today that you are a child of God and you can be put on mission for what God has for you. Maybe you're a believer that just wants to come and pray at the altar. Someone may want to join the church. Whatever it may be, this invitation is for you, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.